1: You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Ellis Martin may have a financial position in issues mentioned on this program. On the web, find us at EllisMartinReport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin.
2: Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru. An expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author, Mr. Morgan has written "Get the Skinny on Silver Investing," available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Yeah,
3: it's good to be with you.
2: Now, I'm not going to ask you to make any predictions with regard to future prices of gold and silver. Over the course of the last two or more years, you have referred to the last bull run. This will be a time where gold rises to parabolic heights, and any public company with the name "gold" in it will whether it's the real deal or a wannabe deal, will rise up to the occasion in the market. Do you have a sense that this is coming anytime soon or shortly?
3: No, not shortly. I think we're probably a couple years away, but I think it's absolutely developing now, and I will say that I'm very certain that 2015 will be a year that we work our way higher in gold. Mark Faber's predicted about a 30% move up in gold, and I agree with that. I think that's probably uh, maybe a bit conservative, time will tell. And if you look at how silver moves relative to gold, that might suggest a 50% move in silver, which means that the gold-silver ratio would narrow, which is what I expect. So you can look at silver going from, say, 15 or 16 up to maybe uh, 24, 25, 26. I'm looking really for about the 26 level by the end of the year or somewhere in, in between. And that's, of course, without my famous caveat of a black swan event that would take these metals far higher very
2: quickly. Well, that's a conservative estimate based on the numbers we were seeing in 2012 and
3: 2013, isn't it? It is. I've been beat up for being wrong. You know, I said it would take probably two or three years for silver to work through that big move from 19 up to 48. It took four. We're not absolutely certain the bottom is in. I'm 99% sure that it is. Came in early November of 2014. But there's what's called overhead resistance. There's a lot of stale bulls out there, even on the physical side. They're tired of the word silver. They, wish, you know, they overinvested or invested the wrong time or whatever. So as the market moves out, they'll sell into it or get rid of their position or part of it or whatever. So that's called overhead resistance. It exists in any market, stocks, commodities. So there's a bit of work to be done, I would say. And I definitely want to stay more on the conservative side. I mean, not that I've ever been crazy wild or whatever ever, but it's taken longer than I expected to be honest. I thought three years would be about the max. It's taken four, but there are so many reasons, fundamentally and technically, for the markets to go much, much higher. And I think that this Swiss referendum that didn't get passed was a very important turning point because what I said and some others was that it just got the gold situation in the consciousness of a lot of people. It didn't pass, but what did happen was that the Swiss unpegged from the Euros just about anybody in the sector now knows. And that had almost the same effect as passing a referendum would have had. This is something where the bankers bank, I mean, the Swiss are famous for their banking, basically exited out of the euro. The announcement from Draghi and company was that they are going to QE quite a bit. And, you know, gold and silver up against that announcement. So the fundamentals continue to get better. And I think that, again, maybe it is conservative. Well, actually, you know, you know me. You get the Morgan reports, so you see it every month. And, you know, we do updates. We put out flash alerts. We have that special service that is the mid-level service, which is our most popular. And this puts up software on your computer that pops up and says that we have an update or we have an alert or whatever, it's right in your face. I don't know if anybody in the industry, including, you know, Casey Research, the Dines, Letter, Richard Russell, anybody that has that service that's provided for such a modest fee and gets kind of right in your face and says, look, you know, there's something important going on with one of these companies. There's something important going on with the market. David just did an update on the market and it's not always just gold and silver. I and mean, we look at the bond market, we look at the U.S. dollar, etc. There's a lot there. We do our best. I think it's going to be a good year, not a great year, but I'm going to tell maybe, you know, this thing will take off like crazy. I mean, Bull Pony, that we interviewed on our Mastermind series, it was super bullish and expected a huge run-up in December, proved inaccurate. I agreed with him when I was at the Silver Summit that the biggest move is ahead, which is how you let off the show, Ellis, and thank you for that, and I still believe that our time frames are different. Bo is of the opinion that it was like imminent. I'm of the opinion it's going to take a couple years, maybe three, but nonetheless, we did agree, and I had one of my subscribers come up in the Vancouver show and based Basically uh, pinned me down a little bit and said, well, you agreed with Bo. And I said, in some aspects, yes, in some aspects, not so much. And I went over that. Well, it's always good to get the feedback from everybody because that's true communication. And what I realized was even though I knew what I meant, he didn't understand what I said. which might sound kind of dumb, but that's exactly what took place. So, yes, the biggest move is ahead of us this year. Probably not. 2016, yes. Probably in the end. But between now and then, by the bottom, by in here... Why under the cost of production? Same thing for gold. I mean, gold and silver for many mining companies are under the cost of production. So be a savvy investor
2: and accumulate now. I heard a rumor at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference that Goldcorp picked up Probe. And then you confirmed it through one of the email alerts via the Morgan Report that you referred to earlier. Let's talk about the significance of this.
3: Well, they're a very savvy company. It's one of our top tier. It's one that you can hardly lose money on if you have a long-term perspective. They've got great management. And they continue to acquire assets. So we're just very happy that, that they're so well-run. And, you know, there's been some remarks about some of the write downs of some of these companies. But if you look at it from the financial aspect, what their cash flow is, what their balance sheet is, what they own, what they have, everything that we have in the top tier we're not uh, ashamed of. They're all really in very healthy financial shape. So, certainly, you know, companies allowed to take a right down. We look at a kind of attack a situation where they're pretty healthy regardless. So, we're not upset by anything that's going on with the top tier sector. Our mid-tiers are pretty solid and the speculations are just that. You know, there's some that are still doing well and some that we wish we never heard the names of, but that's not deliberate and, of course, we teach everybody to bet little to win big on those and to spread out in that sector. And uh, that's the way to do it. I mean, there's no other way that I know of, because no matter how good these stories are, sometimes the stories don't work out.
2: From what I've seen recently, and it was certainly true in the past, any movement in the market related to gold is story-driven. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think so. It's on the panel at the end. You may have caught it, maybe not. It was kind of the precious metals outlook. We had a gentleman from TV, Toronto Dominion Bank. Your dean was on there with us, Peter Spina and myself. And all of us across the board were bullish, which you would expect in a gold show. But we got a couple of bankers, and I think they're more conservative probably than I am. And I'm not flaming just jumping up and down perma-bull. I mean, all markets go up and down. I just call the top at 48. I did recommend people hedge. Bob Moriarty acknowledged that at the Silver Summit in October were gonna drift off and come back. Across the board, bullish. No one was overly bullish. We're all looking at kind of a steady eddy kind of move up. Fundamentals are stressed by all of us. The world's not getting safer. The uncertainty is increasing, the volatility is increasing. Throwing out here for the listeners that maybe we can get this thing going viral. I'm going to say that tongue-in-cheek, but it'd be nice. Richard Fisher, president of the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank, yeah, that guy owns a million dollars in gold and about a 1,000 acres of farmland. And he's with the Fed. So what does that tell you? I mean, you could put that in the title. Federal Reserve oh boy. Richard Fisher, president of Dallas, owns a million dollars or more in gold. What does that say? Well, it says a lot is what it says. But again, I'm stressing it probably too much. And what I want to stress think, Alice, is that, you know, people understand the fiat system. They understand the banking cabal and they get these things. And so they get the idea that, like, that's the only place to be. Hey, I am way overweighted in the precious metals, but it's my profession and I can live with it. But a lot of people rather than allocate, say, 10 or even 20% into the metals decide that like that's the only place and you know what for most people you're better off just diversifying with 10 or 20 percent at the most and taking the rest of the money and doing whatever you are good at building your business getting a further education getting maybe some income real estate maybe looking at the 3d printing market i mean there's lots of opportunities still even in the economic conditions that we live under there's always somebody you know there's a bright spot somewhere and you can find them so i would just give that caveat because what I hear most often is that geez I believe the silver and gold story and I put practically everything I have into it at the wrong time if you're a long term bull the best thing to do is build a savings program around your portfolio and rebalance every year if you have 10% of the metals and the metals go down and you rebalance every January and you find that that's about 5% of your portfolio what you can do is sell what's up and reallocate that cash into more gold or silver or both and balance it back to where you're at 10% so a system taught by Harry Brown. It's called the Permanent Portfolio. It's actually brilliant in its simplicity. That's a good way to take a long-term investor mindset that will help you do well in the longer term.
2: How does one subscribe to The Morgan Report?
3: Just get on the website, themorganreport.com. Get on our free e-letter alert. that comes out every Saturday. You kind of get the style of how we write. And then there's three levels of service. The basic for kind of long-term buy and hold investors then the one with the uh, special service that pops up on your desktop is available for not that much more and that's where I go through and provide all these videos of the shows that I do where they allow us to take more importantly on the mining trips it's like you can be an armchair mining expert more or less by watching some of these videos that are put out by us on these trips that we make so you get a pretty good feel for not only the company but your kind of boots on the ground so we provide that I don't know who else in the industry does that and that's fine for really strongly invested people mostly fund managers are very high worth. We have the Mastermind series, and that's kind of a special situation, and that's fairly expensive, and we don't have many on that, but we do get some very exciting guests on there. I just had a floor trader from the exchange on yesterday, and it was quite fascinating what he had to say about the Japanese debt market and the gold.
2: David, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Thank you. I've been speaking with David Morgan of the morganreport.com. You can listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd
1: probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com.
2: I'm Ellis Martin today reporting from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference and I'm sitting with Greg Johnson the. president. President and CEO of Wellgreen Platinum trading on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol WG and in the U.S. as WGPLF.
4: Greg, welcome. Good to be back. Thanks, Ellis.
2: Now, you're part of a group of companies that is active in the Canadian Yukon. Let's talk about that.
4: There are a lot of advantages with a, a region like the Yukon in working together with other companies, similar development stage that are going through some of the same work, studies, exercises, interaction with the government and regulators. So it's an opportunity here at the conference. The government's been presenting talking with investors, why is the Yukon a great place for mining investment? And we're collaborating as a group, we're called the Yukon Mining Alliance, that has six or seven of the largest, most advanced development stage companies, all working together to kind of say, what are ways that we can communicate with government effectively, and try to advance our our projects through the regulatory process. So you speak as one when you're communicating with the government then? Yeah, it's helpful. Each one of us has our own unique challenges or issues that we may be looking at on the project, but collectively as a voice, we all want to see transparency, We want to see a regulatory regime that you set out the requirements from an engineering point of view and a process that's a timely process. And government in the Yukon has been responding to that quite well. So without this alliance, would it be more difficult for an individual company to get things done, more or less? Well, not necessarily more difficult. But what it does is it allows us to take common themes that all of us are interested in and have a unified voice with the regulators to allow them to know, here's an area we'd like to see you address in terms of improving the overall regulatory framework. And that's really, uh, I think, a value. Oftentimes, you'll see these projects are kind of standalone. They're out doing their exploration and everything, and there's not really a common voice in which people can communicate those needs. You know, it's really something that the Yukon government is open to the interests of these development stage companies, that mining is such an important part of their GDP that the premier of the Yukon, the equivalent of a U.S. governor, is here speaking with companies, speaking with investors, and it really makes us realize we're in a special jurisdiction from a mining point of view to be working in the Yukon. Do you think at some point in the future the jurisdiction will be equivalent to what we see in Quebec? I think that they recognize they're competing with other jurisdictions for exploration investment, and I think based on the discussions we've had with them, they want to be the best mining jurisdiction in Canada. And as i mentioned, already Canada has been recently ranked as the number one mining jurisdiction by Bear Delbert globally. So that would really put them at the top of the top. Let's talk
2: about PGMs, platinum, palladium, nickel. It seems that they're closely tracking as they've done before the price of the gold and gold has broken out a little bit. You have a background in all metals, but especially gold. How does this interest you at this particular time? It's more or less a speculative mood?
4: Yeah, no, it's been, as you know, a very difficult market the last three or four years. This is one of the longest corrective periods we've seen in the last 30 in the mining sector. So many analysts are thinking we may be getting close to a bottom here at some point. And in fact, on a daily basis, gold, platinum, and silver appear to have had significant breakout moves, which indicate they may be moving into a a new period, perhaps the new part of the cycle on the upswing. Do you rely on the markets at all for funding? You know, as a development stage company, we don't have revenue. So we need to be able to affect effectively convey our story to both retail as well as large institutional investors so that they understand what are our objectives, what are we trying to accomplish, and what's the ultimate value that can be created here. So yes, it has been a challenging market in which uh, to raise capital the last couple of years because of the downswing in metals, but Wellgreen Platinum was one of the few companies able to raise significant capital in 2014 despite the the challenging conditions.
2: That's what I find interesting about this particular conference. If you were to come here two or three years ago, and of course you were here, I was here, you're looking at maybe uh, a 1,000 companies, and 800 of them were destined to go away, and they did go away. So I would say that the surviving companies, some of them are perhaps in a similar position to yours, and maybe a potential investment opportunity for when the market, in fact, does turn around.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that this conference is two-thirds the size of where it was in 2011 at the peak of the last market cycle is an indicator. These are the survivors. These are the higher quality names. And it's kind of an indicator that we're probably near a bottom here in the market in terms of that kind of contraction. I think we're cautiously optimistic that things are looking better. We were able to raise $20 million in 2014. We've ended the year with $11 million, so we're in a strong financial basis to kick off our studies. This is an exciting time for the company because it's going to be the culmination of two years of exploration work, drill holes, engineering, with this new study that's coming out later this month. And then we're gonna hit the ground running on our pre-feasibility work this year, which is gonna be an exciting flow of news from drill results, engineering, and other studies to take it to the next level. You got a smile on your face and you're very optimistic right now. And I think it's genuine. Anything you wanna share with us today? You know, everything is coming together on the studies. We're excited to get this out. This is really gonna be a new vision for the project. We're looking at a phased concept that's lower in capital intensity, focus on the higher grade material, open pit mine, so the costs are lower, the risks are lower. We're quite excited to be able to deliver this new concept to the marketplace.
2: Greg, again, thank you very much for joining us today on the program. Pleasure to be back. I've been speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Wellgreen Platinum, trading on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol WG, and in the U.S. as WGPLF. This is Ellis Martin reporting from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference.
0: Go to the website right now, ellismartinreport.com.
2: I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Chris Lloyd, the CEO of Nobilis Health, trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol nhc.to. Nobilis Health strategically partners with physicians in the development and management of ambulatory surgical centers, or ASCs, with a mission of providing superior medical care, increased patient satisfaction, and lower costs for healthcare delivery. Nobilis, under its previous name, Northstar Healthcare, recently acquired Athos Health, for $34 million. Anthus, based in Dallas, focused on the marketing and delivery of specialized healthcare services in seven states. Chris, welcome to the program.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: The key to any successful business is providing a service or product that consumers actually need and then the marketing of that commodity. Healthcare is always going to be such a service as long as there are human beings on the planet. Noblis has been extraordinarily successful in bringing their message to the marketplace. Well, absolutely.
5: I think that healthcare in general is always going to be important. What's happening now is people are starting to take more control of their healthcare decisions. That's driven by a few factors. Number one, healthcare is becoming more expensive on an individual basis. People, instead of just listening to their primary care doc direct them and blindly following recommendations, are starting to do their own research, starting to make more informed decisions. And we feel like that marketing is what helps empower people to make these decisions on a more informed basis. And so when you use the term marketing for us, we're doing direct response. And basically what we're doing is answering questions and helping people make, like I said before, informed choices. For example, if you're having chest pains and you go see your primary care doc, that doc says, hey, you need to go see the Dr. Smith and figure out what's going on with your heart, you're going to do that, but you're probably also going to go home and get in front of your computer and and type chest pain into Google and try to get informed as to what's going on. We feel like that Nobilis is positioned for that continued evolution of people trying to make sure that they're getting the most cost-effective treatments available for all different types of pathologies.
2: So you're dedicating significant resources into search engine optimization, etc., to position Nobilis in the areas that you serve. And you're also budgeting advertising dollars in order to educate the public to the fact that if you have certain common ailments, Nobilis is perhaps the go-to place for treatment.
5: That's correct. We are spending a lot of money online, and specifically we are spending money for spine pain, migraine headache pain, different podiatry or foot options, bariatrics, primarily around weight loss. And we're starting an endeavor into to GYN, specifically minimally invasive hysterectomies. So, you know, Google is a big line item. And again, if you're suffering from some sort of issue that is making you reach out and try to understand what's going on with your body and and what the different options are, hopefully you're going to see us. So if you type in low back pain, there's a good chance you're going to see one of the noblest brands, which would be North American Spine or the Cura Spine brand. And hopefully we've done a good job of putting information out there that is compelling if you fit but that's the key we have a very narrow box the docs tell us these are the people we can treat and so it's our job to market around the clinical requirements because those are what comes first
2: The days of attempting to find a doctor through the yellow pages are waning, if not gone, aren't they?
5: That's correct. Those days are are largely over. And and to some extent, the days of a single point of contact and a primary care physician are getting past us as well. People are going direct to specialists. And that's a bit of a change, but it's a fairly predictable one in that we live in a a very short attention span society. And so people want to know right now what's going on with me and, and how do I address it? And they're not generally willing to wait through the typical system of referrals and your primary care doc sending you to his golfing buddy.
2: This program is heard all over North America. I know that Noblis is based in Dallas, Houston and the Phoenix areas. How can a listener to this segment that is not living in these cities, who is intrigued and perhaps interested not only as a possible investment opportunity, but in fact getting treatment, benefit in markets outside of those that you serve?
5: Well, it's history- Historically, on the atheist side, uh, about 80% of our patients have traveled and specifically have gotten on a plane. That's how we track that, have taken a plane ride to receive treatment at one of our centers. Now, our footprint is continually expanding. We think that will continue to happen over the next few years, so we're hoping to make those plane rides shorter. We're trying to cover the large metropolitan areas in the United States, but for now, certainly the types of procedures that we're providing and that our partner physicians are providing are the types that you can travel for so we don't endeavor to be in we talked about cardiac earlier but we're not doing anything in cardiac those treatments don't lend themselves well to patients that may need to travel same thing with cancer we're talking more episodic care where you come in you have a minimally invasive surgery with a short recovery you get back on a plane and get home and get on with your life and so for now I think it's important to know that, that the people that are reaching out to us the solutions that we're putting out to the public lend themselves well to people traveling but in the same breadth. I'm telling you that we are expanding our footprint, and we currently, between the Nobilis-owned and managed facilities and the facilities with which we have contracts, we're covering a good swath of the U.S. population.
2: Let's talk about the tremendous revenue increase during last year. Is that due to the acquisition of Northstar and then Nobilis's ability to grow the business, serving the public? Well, it's
5: both. I mean, Northstar was doing great before they purchased Aethos. We didn't close on that purchase until the very beginning of, of December, was when we officially announced it. Northstar. When you look at their year-over-year year, without us, they were doing quite well. And I think similarly, this we had a good growth trajectory, and, and that was continuing. I think combined, it becomes very interesting because you see that the two companies, the synergies between them are very, very, very compelling, both from an investment standpoint and an operations standpoint. So I think that you would have seen great numbers out of Northstar without us. I think as a combined entity, the future is very bright.
2: Let's talk about the combined entity of Chris Lloyd and Nobilis. Let's track that history.
5: Okay. Well, I had known the North Star folks, Dr. Kramer and Harry Fleming, for quite a few years, actually. We had worked with North Star back in 2010. We parted ways not because things went bad. It was because North Star was growing and the facility that we were working at didn't have the capacity to serve our patients. So we parted ways but stayed in touch. And specifically, we stayed in touch when North Star tried to poach a few AIS employees to further bolster their marketing efforts. Those employees decided to stay. But I just picked up the phone and called Harry Fleming, their president, and said, hey, we think we're going to get into the facility ownership game. It looks like you guys are trying to get better at marketing. Let's see if there's a deal here. And there was a deal there, and we closed it 30 days
2: later. Looking ahead for 2015-2016, what's your plan?
5: 2015 is going to be exciting regardless. Just the combined entity is so compelling from a revenue and earnings standpoint. And I think in your interview with Harry a week or so ago, he talked about some of the mechanics of why the combination is so accretive. We will continue to look at selective M&A opportunities. Like I said before, we're going to try to expand our footprint. We will increase our marketing spend. A big part of hitting our 2015 numbers is pulling the legacy Northstar marketing activities under the ATHIS brand, or under the ATHIS operations in hopes of providing a better return on investment on those marketing dollars. That's well underway. We're already seeing the fruits of some of those labors. So for this year, I think, you can kind of say that we're just going to keep on doing what we did in 2014, and we think it's going to get us to some pretty impressive numbers for 2016 and beyond. There's going to be some M&A, there's going to be increased marketing spend. We're always going to be on the lookout for new verticals. You mentioned GYN that we're getting into. We're really excited about that. There's always two or three different verticals that we're evaluating at any given time.
2: How are you integrating with the new rules and regulations regarding Obamacare?
5: Well, Obamacare is a net positive for Nobilis because really, at the end of the day, it boils down to more insured people, and that's who we serve people, generally with commercial insurance. That's just a larger population. What I think the other driver that Obamacare provides for us is the fact that people's out-of-pocket is generally, they're really going to pay more on average than they did prior to Obamacare. It is not necessarily for insured folks a cost saver because companies are gonna put, as they get on these exchanges, they're gonna put more of the financial responsibilities on employees. What that does is make people better shoppers and they endeavor to be more informed shoppers of health care. And so we feel like those two things are great outcomes for Obamacare. We're excited about it, whether or not we believe it's good for the quality of care in the United States long term. That's another question, and probably not relevant for this discussion, but absolutely it's providing more people with commercial health care and pushing them to be better consumers and more informed consumers, which plays right within what we're doing.
2: Chris, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today and learning more about Noblest Health. Thanks for joining me on the program. Hey, thank you. I've been speaking with Chris Lloyd, CEO of Noblest Health, trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol nhc.to. That's nhc.to. Listen to the segment again on our website, ellismartinreport.com. We
1: offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, EllisMartinReport.com.
2: Join me now for a conversation with Paul Mlegenovic, the raving capitalist, certified planner, national speaker, and author of Stock Investing for Dummies, Micro Entrepreneurship for Dummies, The Unofficial Guide to Picking Stocks, Precious Metals Investing for Dummies, and Zero Cost Marketing, which is available on ZeroCostMarketing.net. Paul, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's good to
6: be back again. I enjoyed the last session, even though it wasn't a great topic, if you recall, on healthcare and such. We'll move
2: on, my friend. You know what's interesting about that is we have a sponsored company on the program involved in healthcare services, and that sector is doing very well as a whole. Although many are not entirely in favor of Obamacare, it seems to be working out very well for a variety of businesses in the healthcare sector. What are your thoughts?
6: Well, here's the thing. I know for a lot of my clients and students, I, I generally tell them to uh, stay away from things such as uh, subsections of the healthcare industry. Like for example, many sections of the healthcare industry work fine. People forget that it's a sector, but it's a mixed sector. There's some things that are cyclical about it. Some things that are defensive about it. I tell my clients and students and readers to stay away from the healthcare financial section, like the healthcare insurers, because there's too much of a question mark there. And the thing is, because a lot of these things change the dynamics of the healthcare industry me, those companies that help add value in terms of keeping costs down or whatever, a lot of those things are not going to change. In other words, people such as your sponsor and a lot of other companies out there, in some respects, the dynamics of the industry now are helping them versus hurting them. So we'll see about the entire sector in due course. But uh, as I've told people, more than ever, in spite of what you see with the stock market, as long as they stick to companies that have a solid offering, expanding client base, and expanding market share, making it profitable, then they should be done, healthcare otherwise.
2: Exactly. And I was specifically referring to some healthcare providers in the business of providing excellent service to their clientele. I believe it's been about two years since we last chatted, Paul. Let me ask you a question. Did you see the strife in connection with Russia and the Ukraine and Putin's alleged involvement coming?
6: The thing about him is that whether you agree with him or not agree with him, he's a confident, assertive leader. He will stand up with Russia. And the thing that hurt them the most has been, of course, the oil collapse. And then you had the other side of it with the ruble falling apart as well. I think that's going to make countries like theirs just a little bit more dangerous. The thing is that our country seems to be strong on the world scene in spite of itself. Because, I mean, we're fortunate that we've had a very mature market system, and it has a lot of things in place to keep it strong. But the thing is, is that among the things that you know, around the horizon it's going to be a challenge for us is the fact that Russia and China do see themselves as in an adversarial position, both economically and otherwise. So they're going to keep on trying to make the moves to make themselves certainly stronger. I know that Putin is eyeing the resources of the Ukraine. I know, maybe not on your program, but on separate programs, I had made the prediction that you're going to start seeing more resources wars that are out there. I mean, right now, we live in historic times when currencies are being overproduced at a record level. And the thing with the U.S. dollar is that it's had the life of Riley being the reserve currency, so it's given it some advantages versus other currencies. If it wasn't a reserve currency, you would have seen a crisis (laughs) happening much like in Argentina or places like Venezuela. So we're lucky from that regard. But that doesn't mean that other countries aren't gunning to reach parity as a competing reserve currency, the way China wants to do with the Yuan. So we're going to start seeing more geopolitical crises out there. They're seeing that our leadership is generally weak. That's certainly their perception whether it's true or not. They're going to see it that way. So they're going to start making more moves and I feel that the aggressive moves are going to start heightening a lot of tensions and in return that's going to have a lot of impact on our financial markets as well. So we have to keep on watching that. With oil, that's definitely had great harm to the Russian economy because they have a huge component of it. That's the resource area. That's why they keep on building up their gold reserves but they keep on having difficulty getting in cash because of the falling oil revenue. We as an economy are going to benefit from oil prices, so it's definitely going to have a good economic impact. And overall, it's not a bad thing to our stock market. But the real problem is going to be how many companies in this sector have been over leveraged and they won't be able to maintain or service their debt because of their falling revenue. So you might see like a mini crisis here that's going to end up with So there's a lot of concerns for 2015. It's going to be a more volatile year than usual, in Dallas.
2: Staying with Russia for a few minutes, do you think the collapse in oil and then the contraction of the ruble is a direct result of actions in the Ukraine, or were those? Financial hits in play anyway. Look, even
6: before these crises came along, and I think this is only going to fuel his desire to expand his power and greatly increase Russia's reach. You will forget get, the, you know, he, he was a part of the KGB when it was the Soviet Union, so there's a lot of eyeing of these other venues. They want to start slowly rebuilding that particular empire. So I think more tensions are really going to be happening, and the question is, to what extent will we be reporting it? The American media can be very fickle. I mean, you, you'll see more stories about things going on with footballs that are underinflated versus conflicts and corners of the globe that's going to end up biting us later on.
2: In spite of all the predictions that experts and analysts were making a couple of years ago, the dollar seems to be undefeatable. Exactly, but
6: I think this is the time that those in your audience that are the speculator types, I mean, it's probably not a bad time to start putting your toe in the water to be more bearish. Nobody has an indefinite bull market. And the thing is that as our enemies start to shift away, and more and more countries in international trade starts to shift away and diversify away from the dollar, that's going to be the Achilles heel for it. Uh, at this point, for those people that there who have dollars in denominated assets, like, for example, you know, one of the star performers of 2014 was, of course, the ETF that was tied to the dollar. It's done very well. Some of my clients have that definitely. Now it's time to put on things like trailing stops because we don't know when the turnaround is going to start occurring. This year could very well be it. So we'll have to wait and see.
2: I'll ask you this then, Paul. With all that going on, are gold and silver a safe haven or not? I think it's a safe
6: haven in the ultimate sense, because obviously gold and silver has never gone to zero, and it's outlived thousands of currencies since ancient times. And the current crop of currencies out there are just as weak as before. They might be more sophisticated in its implementation and with the technical world, etc. But I would start accumulating gold and silver to be a hedge away from paper assets. I think what... People have to realize is that, especially after 2008, maybe even more so the next few years, is that probably one of the great risks that people are really ignoring is the idea of counterparty risk. I know sometimes you have uh, one of my favorites on your program, which is David Morgan. I know he's had a conversation or two touching on this topic. And the thing is, gold and silver are among the very few investments on the investing and speculative landscape don't have a counterparty risk, you know, in other words, there's no debtor or promise on the other side of owning it. So physical gold and silver are not a bad thing to get into right now, and a lot of great quality stocks to uh, look into. And I think that the next leg, the next up leg of uh, gold and silver during 2015, during the 15, 16, and 2017, I think looks more than realistic. I'm very bullish about their prospects, actually.
2: Do you think that's going to happen this year? You know,
6: it's very possible. And I think to a great extent, part of the reason why is that you start seeing a loosening of controls. You're seeing decentralization going on. You're seeing more commodities and metals markets opening up in places like Shanghai and Dubai and these other venues. So I think things like that start to loosen the ability to control a particular marketplace. And so I think that I will not be surprised if we see a crisis you know, in IMEX, comics in the next few years. And I wouldn't be surprised you know, if you start seeing more and more discovery where the red flags go up and people all of a sudden start to see the actual shortages and supply and demand could easily pick up gold and silver to even higher than what I'm presuming. These things, unfortunately, a lot of these decisions haven't been closed doors, so you don't know when the dam is going to break. So me, it's not a question of if these things are going to happen. The question is when. Could it happen this year? Hey, after what's happened the last three years, I think this is as good a year as any. But the speculators out there, I mean, right now, there are options on gold and silver that have like a two-year time frame. So those are not bad speculations. And there's still some quality mid-tier and top-tier gold and silver stocks if they want to be patient about it. But some kind of position, I think is going to be handsomely rewarded to those people who start seeing these as buying opportunities.
2: During the last bull run with the highs that were realized, still less than 1% of investment dollars went into gold. Therefore, most of the general investing public has not necessarily been burned by it. When a larger percentage of investors get into gold, it could go parabolic. Is that not correct?
6: I think so. We have more investors than back at the last bull market, and they become more and more aware. And let's face it, rising prices, they make their own news, and then people start to gravitate like monsters a flame. I think when the public starts uh, piling in, you could probably guess it as well as I do, that those are times when you start planning in your exits, but we're still a long way away from that. I'm on board with some observers who have been looking at it, some industry insiders who see the potential for like, say, gold being in five digits? That may sound like out there, but if somebody told you that the Swiss franc was going to be skyrocketing by 30 or 40% in a single day, they would have thought you were crazy. And that kind of mechanism in place, that kind of dynamic, when you have like a volcanic eruption after being suppressed or managed out well, a while, well, I think will definitely happen with gold and silver. So I think I heard one analyst say that he sees uh, that silver has the outside chance of uh, being in the 500 area. Well, we've seen so many unusual, crazy things in the last 5, 10 years. I wouldn't entirely count that out, that kind of scenario. Point is to be bullish and be in those things that can survive some of this volatility. And paper assets are going to start having some major cracks in it, whether they're currencies or the financial assets, certainly bonds, and will show their cracks as well. You were seeing it in Europe having to be a, a contagion, a river effect, I think that's uh, more than a possibility. So yeah, so definitely I'd be diversified into metals going forward. And now, when the world, this is when you look at stuff. When the rest of the world is poo you it or ignoring it, that's when you're looking at it. That's what the contrarian does. So I would definitely seek some type of position there.
2: Let's segue back to oil. For a variety of reasons, some of which we've discussed, there's been a huge reduction in the price of oil. Do you think ultimately this will have a positive effect upon the U.S. economy? I think you stated earlier that it would. In
6: general, yes, I consider it a big plus. I mean, how many consumers and businesses want to be able to get by just to meet their budgets? And I know for if people are paying half as much for gas or less in utility bills, and how many uh, trucking firms, et cetera, could use a brake you know, for their transportation costs. This is like a tax cut, and that's definitely a, a big plus for the US economy. The negatives, well, it's, it's really quite interesting. This is why I start to tell people, people saying, are there buying opportunities in this sector? I mean, because oil will stabilize we don't have an unlimited supply uh, in spite of what's happening with shale oil. And I think that people who are looking to uh, get back in and see buying opportunities, I would probably wait a quarter or two until you start seeing the financials of a lot of firms. Those firms, which are not overextended with liability on their balance sheets, are still making a profit at these levels and paying a good dividend. I think those are buying opportunities. Whereas other companies, you're going to have the situation happening during this quarter and the second quarter of 2015 where the famous phrase by Warren Buff comes into play, that when the tide rolls out, you'll see who's naked or not. So when the data comes in, we'll find out which firms out there are going to be struggling and potentially, uh, you know, facing bankruptcy if they're not careful or get debt restructuring. You'll see both shorting opportunities and buying opportunities simultaneously in the same sector during the first half of 2015. And again, some great pluses for the economy. And we'll probably see some crises internationally. How many countries out there like Russia and like Saudi Arabia made their wealth through this? So I think part of the negative impact is the low oil prices is that some of these countries are going to get maybe desperate and aggressive. Meanwhile, some of the movements in the Middle East that have been funded by high oil, there's going to be a pitch there as well. And how are they going to react? So there's an incredible mix of both good and bad that we have to watch out for during the first half of this year to find out where are the opportunities and where are the risks.
2: Looking ahead to the balance of 2015 after discussing all that we have, let's take a look at some possible investment avenues. What are a few smart things that we can do with our money? First of all,
6: with the stock market where it is right now, they're going to hear a lot of talk among the pundits out there about where they think that's stocks are going to go. I can find some excellent commentators who think that the Dow is going to power its way even higher. I heard one fellow say 31000 and I hear others saying that's going to be heading below 10000 So for me, this is a good time. I feel that the best way to mitigate this is to, first of all, take a look at all the positions in your portfolio and ask yourself, like one of my favorite things, and I've mentioned this, and we're in the age that I'm going to make sure that all the stocks I have are quality stocks. And among the things that I point out as a quality stock is that, first of all, you have to make sure that you're invested in things that are tied to human needs. Like food, water, beverage, utilities, etc. And these are the general sectors that I would like to see people shift into. Right now, people are going for a lot of speculative things out there, like some of the uh, internet stocks, etc. Maybe some high tech, maybe some energy. And there are some pitfalls there. So I would look at a company, see the last three years if their sales have been expanding, see if their dividends have been expanding, make sure they're paying dividends stocks that are paying a dividend. They, they are listed in the New York Stock Exchange because there's too many companies out there because the New York Stock Exchange, there they have minimal reporting requirements and minimal levels of financial strength. So they can start off there so that filters out a lot of companies out there that don't have that financial strength. Three years of profits, three years of growing sales, three years of rising dividends. And There's some great ones out there. One of my favorite ETFs out there, and again, I only say this, that you should be speaking with your financial advisors about this, all right? There's one ETF I like that has a symbol HDV. And again, this is discuss with your financial advisors. It's not a recommendation. I'm giving you that as an example, as an educational example of an ETF that I like. They only invest in a broad uh, section of stocks that have rising dividends for 10 years or longer, and most of those stocks are human-need stocks. So I think that's a great place to go. Start accruing your cash for both opportunities and for potential rainy days. Not enough people have an emergency fund, so they should have at least, like, say, three months' worth of gross living expenses in cash at a bare minimum. Get some gold and silver. Make sure it's like, say, gold eagles, or Canadian maple leaves, whether they're gold or silver, and make sure that they're the physical, that they're in your possession, okay? Reduce your debt. Try to become as self-sufficient as possible. Like, one of the reasons I call myself a raving capitalist is because now well, do I wanna see people do passive wealth building, but I'd love to see people do active wealth building where they pick up, say, a part-time business on the side where they can start generating income and become much more self-sufficient. If they stick to being self-sufficient and accumulating more of the quality assets out there, I think they're going to survive the next few years very
2: well. And in addition to paying off debt, which is always a good idea, restrict the amount of things you buy on credit, correct?
6: Absolutely, and I think maybe now's a good time for all those who have a good credit rating. Why not get yourself secured with a line of credit that you can access? And again, you you won't have to pay for it until you use it, but it's always good to be qualified for that now before some of the problems with the general credit market start to unfold. By the way, if they're gonna be doing education, they have to go to Cal for here as well, because there's a real bubble out there. It's the college bubble, a trillion dollars in college debt. Any of those people who have kids going into high school, there's lots of alternative education, which is a lot cheaper there's going to be a lot of pitfalls with the people who can't pay off their college debt. So there's going to be some real problems and activities the next few years, but the more self-sufficient you know, those within the sound of a voice are, the better off they're going to be.
2: Paul, how do our listeners find you to ask you questions and follow what you're doing?
6: Well, they are most welcome to visit my main site, ravencapitalist.com, and there's contact information there as well. Anybody who uh, emails me and they said that i am a listener, to Ellis Martin... I will give them attention immediately. Anyway, but uh, I'd be most pleased if that happened. Yeah, definitely. At ravingcapitalist.com.
2: Paul, thanks so much for joining me today on the program. It's been a real pleasure.
6: Oh, thank you for having me. I hope you make it a sensational year, my friend. You and all your listeners.
2: I've been speaking with the raving capitalist, Paul Majenovic. His website is ravingcapitalist.com. Subscribe free to the Prosperity Alert and get free wealth building reports. Listen to the segment again on the homepage of our website, Ellismartreport.com
0: We follow those that like to be followed. Follow them yourself at ellismartinreport.com.
2: I'm Ellis Martin. Today I'm speaking with Doug Diamond, the President and CEO of Gatekeeper Systems Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GSI.V. Gatekeeper employs integrated high-resolution video, voice, and GPS mapping for extreme mobile applications, increasingly vital for the documentation of law enforcement activity as well as other security-focused efforts across North America. Doug, welcome to the program. How would you define gatekeepers market?
7: The security market in general is divided up into a number of segments. All of those segments are expected to grow to approximately $23 billion by 2017. We reside in the mobile market. We define mobile as really anything that is moving. There's 550,000 yellow school buses in North America, and there's 30 to 50,000 of those buses manufactured every year. There's approximately 120,000 transit buses. There's taxis, there's aircraft, Coast Guard patrol boats. Anything that moves, including law enforcement personnel and security personnel, there's approximately 30 million law enforcement and security personnel that at some point in time will be wearing body cameras.
2: With the recent controversy in areas such as Ferguson, Missouri, and New York City, I would imagine that there would be great interest in Gatekeeper's body camera technology across the country.
7: We've just recently introduced a new high-definition body camera. There's been a lot of press in and around the events that have come out of Ferguson. That's driving a significant amount of press across the country. Gatekeeper had introduced the high-definition body camera for not only law enforcement, also security personnel in school districts, prisons, hot Hospitals, corrections, a number of different
2: marketplaces. Let's review another large market that you also addressed and are already seeing success in, school buses and your student protector system. The
7: student protector is a high-speed license plate reading system that was specifically designed to install on the outside of school buses to deter stop-arm violations. Stop-arm violations occur when a school bus comes to a stop. The stop-arm is engaged and children are either boarding the bus getting on or off. It's during those times that very dangerous situation can occur and that's when a car will pass that stop arm in the u.s this year there's a projected 15 million stop arm violations and what's happened in the past is that kids have either been hit by these vehicles there's been deaths that have occurred near misses it's really driven new legislation in various states that allow counties or cities to use video from a school bus video system to issue a citation how
2: does this translate into prosecution of these violations and revenue for the company.
7: Gatekeeper embarked on a development project approximately a year ago to design a unique system that can record a evidence pack whereby when such an incident occurs, our system captures the license plate, the vehicle identification, GPS coordinates of where the bus was some other metadata that really creates this evidence pack for the county and the city to be used in court to issue a citation. Now, the average citation in various states ranges anywhere from $250 to $750. So literally, in a short period of time, there's been this new market category that is created that has the potential to grow into a billion-dollar market category.
2: And you already have a good footing in the market. We've
7: been in the market for quite some time. We have approximately 3,500... Customers in what's considered at the kindergarten, the grade 12 market. Our technology can be used to increase safety in and around the school buses by deterring these incidents from happening. Depending on what business model our customers choose, one of which the systems are paid for by the revenue that's collected from these citations, the equipment can be free of charge to the school district. Gatekeeper will provide the equipment, install it on the school buses, manage the entire program, and we can share in the revenue with the school district, the county, or the city and of course ourselves.
2: With gatekeeper stock at near 19 cents, there's potentially a great deal of upside for the possible investor.
7: The last company I was involved in was about the same size as this one. It was eventually bought out by Honeywell for almost $11 a share. We believe that we are a great potential investment at these prices. And here's why. Gatekeeper Systems has a wide product line and we're engaged in several markets, one of which is the student protector.
2: I've been speaking with the president and CEO of Gatekeeper Systems Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol gsi.v. That's gsi.v. Contact Gatekeeper at 888-666-4833. 888-666-4833.
0: Find out a bunch more things to find out about at That Guy's Site, ellismartinreport.com.
2: Today I'm speaking with renowned Los Angeles psychotherapist Dr. Cheryl Pappas. As we take a look at what boomers, people like me, perhaps people like you, what can we do to take big steps in order to dramatically improve the quality of our lives? Today let's begin by talking about a dilemma, if you will. Getting through life and maintaining a degree of happiness every day.
8: That's a big goal and it's something that is elusive to most people, especially today. Happiness has been in our life, that word, the concept, forever. Now, we could talk for hours, you and I, about what it means and it means something different for everyone. But we're here, I guess, to talk about taking bigger steps, to dreaming bigger dreams, to moving in big ways in life, if a person wants to. Why is everyone
2: afraid of getting out of their particular comfort zone and taking big steps? There's the logic that small steps, baby steps, one step at a time. I don't think that particular logic works
8: for me. Well, it's the three R's. Rejection, rejection, rejection. That's the reason people don't step out and do anything. Little steps are, I Guess perceived to be less threatening and more doable. There's an old Jewish mother thing where the mother says, If you're going to marry someone, might as well be rich. This is not what I'm interested in looking for in people. But if you're going to do something, here's the real bottom line you're going to do something, go all the way. Make it the best you can possibly make it. Don't cut yourself off at the knees and say, I can do this little tiny step, but I'm afraid to do the bigger one. Go for the real gold because life can end in a flash. The truth is that we have no guarantee in terms of how long we enjoy this wondrous thing about being alive. If it ended today, some people say they'd be thrilled, they've had a great life. Most people say, what? I haven't even done anything. I haven't done what I wanted to do, I was afraid. And that's what we're here to talk about.
2: Fear of rejection.
8: Getting rid of the fear and doing it.
2: Why does that fear exist? We've been taught to be afraid. So we're taught fear, we're not born with fear.
8: I don't think children are born into a really original, organic state of fear.
2: If your needs are not being met, how can you be happy in this world?
8: That's a very important point, and I don't want to just run away from it. There are people who struggle to eat. It's happening all over. If we could zero in for a moment on people of our generation, boomers, if we could just start there, then we can talk about other generations, because I see people in their 20s, so I really feel for and I I want to help in their 30s and their 40s and then we get to people who are our generation who are struggling now I know it sounds oxymoronic how can they be struggling if they have achieved something well they are struggling in a different way there is a soul problem with people our age
2: you think it's because of how we grew up in our time period I mean we weren't always in alignment with what our parents thought and believed and necessarily wanted for us
8: Yes, but we were very lucky to have parents who knew what they stood for. They stood for hard work. They believed if you worked hard enough, you get the brass ring. You have to apply yourself, but you will make it. This is the prevailing attitude. I don't care what kind of money your parents had or didn't have. It was in the air during the boomer childhood years, all about figuring out what you want and making it happen making it happen by hard work, making it happen by applying yourself. So we live under those edicts. We live under those ideas. The world has now changed. The boomers are faced with a different world. It's really like having a schizoid life experience. There is one set of rules and then everything shifts. The game has been thrown off the table and suddenly it's a new life. It's a new world. It's a new game. There are many, many things to talk about when we look at how life has changed radically for people our age. Why are people our age so angry? Why are they so insular and perhaps so selfish? There are reasons why people are miserable who are our age and who have lived in a cocoon and don't do anything about furthering their lives.
2: You and I are kind of the exceptions in that category. We've done things to further our lives, living outside of the norms. We're basically happy and it's because we're, we're not stuck in whatever that groove is or was. We're not like many other boomers who've either retired or have been displaced in the workforce, unable to remake themselves.
8: Yes, and it's really unprecedented. It's very, very new. I mean, it wasn't happening a generation ago. And publicly, everybody knows who they are. they are very wealthy people our age who feel as if it was a game of musical chairs. The music stopped. And now they have to gather all of their wealth and all of their things and protect their things so that makes for very angry people everyone's fighting because what they have has to be preserved because they don't believe there's any more life the music has stopped and then there are people our age who have never been in that fortunate group of wealthy boomers who are very angry that they didn't get into real estate or they didn't make it in some way and they feel it's over because the music stopped but it's not over is it Well, it's a different tune. The music has stopped. Let's tell the truth. The people who are fluid and are able to sit back and say, hey, I am more than my belongings. I am more than whatever I've amassed. The music has stopped, and I'm going to leave that particular game now, and I'm going to figure out who I am. How do I want to live the rest of my life? What would make me happy? To go back to your original word, happiness. Let me find out. Let me be radical enough to figure out who I am, in terms of what I want to do with my life. I have X number of years left. I'm going to find out what works for me, what is good for me, not what other people will recognize or applaud. What will work for me? And then I'm going to take the biggest step I can.
2: Actually, when you're at the age that many boomers are, near 60, you have no time to take small steps. If you have, say, one or two last runs left, so to speak, make your steps big ones.
8: Yes, That's right. That's right. So, really, you have no time if you can be courageous enough to not be courageous. You have no time to say, I'm afraid. You have no time to say, people won't like me. It really comes down to what do I need to do before I'm gone. I don't know what anyone listening to this believes about what happens when we're dead.
2: You use the word courageous. We're talking about courage here. Courage signifies that there's an element of fear involved in an action that you might take. If you're mustering up courage, you're overcoming a Fear, more or less. We have to do away with fear and sidestep all that and just proceed with a good idea.
8: Well, you're right. Courage is the opposite of fear, but you know what courage is made of? It's a French word and it is based on the word heart, which means that if you're a person of great heart, then you will act that out. And that is courage. It's not really about the opposite of fear, but we in America think of it that way. We do. Take courage. Be courageous. Don't be fearful. Courage is acting out of the heart. Once you have identified what it is you left behind that you really want, It is your job in taking care of yourself to go back to it and do it, even if it's an hour a day or an hour a week. Weave it into your life.
2: Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us on the program.
8: What a great pleasure again to be with you, Ellis, as always.
2: I've been speaking with Dr. Cheryl Pappas in the Los Angeles studios overlooking the Pacific Ocean near Santa Monica as we get up, get out, and get it on. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time for the
1: Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com.